poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, my friend. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. Once again, I'm joined for Tactical Tuesday by Mr. John. Mr. John, how are you doing today? Doing well, Brad. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm always going to be doing well. Should we stop asking each other how we're doing each week? I think it's it's getting the listeners yeah, like, yeah, we get it. We they're doing very well. I, I, we know now. Okay, we'll just we'll we'll just go straight into the hand, I guess. Yeah. Next time, just tell me beforehand if you're doing horrible, and then we'll talk about that. Oh, um, then we can have a all right. All right. <laughs> we can actually have a follow up on how we're doing. Um, so we're gonna cover some hands today where multi-way pots, we check raise, and they get kind of a weird card on the turn. Uh, both played at 1K and L on ignition. John, do you want to lead us into the first hand? Sure. So this is a hand that Brad played. Starts with a middle position open, a cutoff flat, and Brad is in the big blind with queen, 10 of spades. Uh, he decides to flat, I guess, we could just even start here and talk about whether you three bet this hand at all or these types of hands multi-way. I think it's reasonable to three bet. I'm, I'm not, oppo- not opposed to it. I, I think that like the cutoff calling is pretty indicative that like you're not supposed to have a calling range there. So villain is most likely a fish. The original preflop opener, I believe I had tagged as a fish. Uh, this hand went down during a poker coaching play and explain live stream. So one thing about the live streams that, you know, are the drawbacks for me specifically is that attention gets divided. You're trying to describe things, trying to figure out where all the buttons are. um, So you can miss some stuff that you otherwise would not have missed. So I'm just going to pull out all the excuses before we jump into this hand um, and say like, well, okay, Queen and just like sort of, call uh call pre instead of squeezing on reflex okay i'll 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 uh come to your defense a little bit i think just looking at this uh just looking at this without any hud stats um i agree the cutoff looks like a fish uh once he flats the mp open i can't tell much about the mp given that he has like a seventeen hundred dollar stack and open to a reasonable size um i would just look at this and say like it's sort of a disaster if we three bet this hand and MP calls and the fish folds, which I think is going to happen quite frequently. And we just, we isolate ourselves versus a reasonably strong MP range. And we lose like the person in the hand that's most likely to donate their stack in some way. Um, so that would yeah. be one of the reasons that I, I might decide to call slightly more often than uh, three bet with a fish flatting. Yeah, that's fair. A little backstory. So MP MP is either a weak reg or a fish because they called a cold four bet with queen jack suited in a spot where 
I know you're not supposed to call queen jack suited. So anyway, um, that was happened a little earlier on. So that was the rationale, even though their stats look okay, that hand specifically was like, I don't think that's supposed to be a thing. So anyway, with that said, um, we go to a flop at the queen 10 of spades. There's $80 in the pot. The flop is Jack of spades, eight of hearts, four of spades. Uh, I start out by checking and I think that I should not have checked. I think this, this is where the hand kind of got away from me from the jump. Um, I like leading here, especially against when I'm battling against multiple fish, um, with a hand like this, because, you know, some bad things can happen when we check raise our combo draws here. Just like what? <laughs> well, the thing that, the thing that is going to happen is what happens, right? Um, you know, you check raise a combo draw and then you turn a pair in a pot with, you know, an SPR of like two, and then you get kind of frozen, right? Where it's hard to construct a nice checking range and a nice betting range. You don't necessarily want to bet with your pair, um, and your combo draw now because you're beating villains, worst flush draws. So like, yeah, it's, uh, you're beating villains, worst flush draws. And then like the hands that villain has that are beating you just jam and kind of make your life miserable. So anyway, that's a bad thing that can happen. Okay. Yeah. I like, <clears throat> I think leading here is, uh, reasonable as well. I, I, I struggle to find the leads in these spots or I just like, don't think of them in the moment and, and we'll see that later on in my hand. Uh, so Brad does check and the MP, the preflop razor, um, that's just over half pot. That's 48 into 80. I guess this, this size would definitely kind of solidify my read that this guy's either a weaker reg or, or maybe just a straight up fish. Um, don't see this size being used very often by the stronger players in the pool. Yeah, it's, it's not supposed to be a thing. Um, it does put me in a little bit of a bind versus smaller sizing. Like I think it's a pretty easy slam dunk check raise. Uh, the bigger sizing I did hesitate as to whether or not I wanted to check raise this hand and ultimately landed on, well, this is like one of the hands that is not a set. That's like higher equity hand that I can check raise with. So I did go for the check raise. Uh, and for what it's worth, like I do have a donk strategy in multi-way pots. Um, that I use like all the time, but I have my pre built in set of excuses here for not donking, but much rather prefer donking. Like if you get raised when you donk, you know, you can bet three bet all in. You just got more options, right? Yeah. So anyway, I check raise to 168 facing the like 60% size bet. And then the actions on villain looking back on it. Now it looks like my check raise is probably too small. I'm giving them a, pretty good price to continue with the strongest portions of their range. So yeah, um, <laughs> not great check raise sizing and should have donked. So this hand's starting out perfectly. Any thoughts here? Um, yeah. So one question that I had was that you said that versus the small check raise size, it's an easy slam dunk, uh, no, excuse me, versus the small C bet size, it's a slam dunk check raise and versus the large one, um, you might not be check raising as frequently. One of the questions I have about that is that it seems like versus the small size, you're just getting a better price to peel. So flatting seems more reasonable when you're getting a good price. And like versus the larger price, maybe we want to check raise more, more frequently than we do versus the small size because we are not getting as good of a price to peel. But then the large size is probably indicative of like a more polar range. 
I would assume that most people and this guy specifically is probably not doing a good enough job of betting like the bottom end of that like polarization range is probably skewed towards over pairs and like strong jack x on this jack eight four. so it's linear right yeah it's a more linear size yeah so i yeah i guess it is a more yeah that's uh i guess that that is what i'm saying um how how does that affect like how does that like kind of work itself into your check raise strategy here well i mean we've concluded that villains are likely to be a fish so like when villains going linear um i'm just check raising linear so like i'm check raising the stronger hands in my range and check calling with like you know nine ten of hearts even like nut flush draws i think i check call with those because i think that like i beat villains worse flush draws um and then like jack eight in my sets so like i'm just uh, i'm check raising very infrequently and with the very best of hands when villains choose a linear sizing gotcha and, okay, and, so. and that's like that's why I, I think that like I, I'm less happy about check raising the big bet than I am the small bet because like if villain does have a small bet here, well then it's going to be the weaker portion of their range, and so like I'm happy check raising that portion of their range. Right, right. Okay, I think that makes a lot of sense. Even though, like just math wise, it seems like we should be doing the opposite. Um, yeah, I mean it's just all in how villains are structuring their c betting strategies. Okay, so we check raise to 168. Villain calls. The turn is a 10 of diamonds. There's $416 in the middle. We have uh, just over 1,000 in our stack, and we are the effective stack. So we turn a pair of 10s, jack, 8, 4, 10. Uh, we still have the combo draw with the spades and the gut shot. Ooh. What do we do? <laughs> like, we have a 10. We beat some draws. But if we bet, like, do now we start, like, kind of, running into a lot of jack x and fewer draws you tell me john what, what do you do here okay so uh up till up till today or maybe last night uh, i i would have checked the spot with having turned the pair of tens and what i realized is that that is like the only sort of hand that i am checking the turn with it would be like a turn pair when i check raise a uh some sort of draw i would continue happily continue betting like my non my non-improved spade draws and my sets and two pairs on this turn um i'd obviously bet any straight that i check raise a uh, straight draw that i check raise on the flop that is now improved to a straight but yeah my my turn check range is extremely unprotected well to be fair it may be unprotected but like how many combos do you really need to protect you know like king 10 queen 10 9 10 so three combos I mean, you could check a portion of your sets here and you would be protected enough. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. But I would say like... But I don't do that. Well, <laughs> it, it kind of hinges on... This is what I said about if I would have donked the flop, then I have a lot of like natural top pairs. So ace-jack, king-jack, queen-jack that can check the uh, turn. And uh, like that's just easier for me to play. Um, if Villain raises the flop, then I can just like bet three bet get it in and not really think twice about it so like donking the flop actually simplifies everything um when we check raise it just things get murky here so yeah basically the moral of this story is this spot is this spot is sucky um <laughs> when you turn a pair and it's very unnatural and um i i, I opted to check um spoiler alert you know we did like John said, 
earlier today, look at these hands in Pio, and Pio just wants to bet everything, which makes a lot of sense because, well, I mean, really, really, it, it makes sense because I don't think villains are going to jam the turn that often. Like, I think we're afraid of something that probably isn't occurring at a high enough frequency to really be afraid of. Like, villain needs to slow play sets on the flop which I guess they probably will, but they're not going to jam like their 18 combos of like aces, kings, or queens. Yeah, or very many bluffs, right? Like that would also be something that I'm concerned about. Like they probably don't have any bluffs that they jam on the turn, especially being that they're in position. And I think like, especially like better players and good regs would uh, sort of be aware of that and realize that like, hey, I guess I should just trap like all my straights and sets since... I'm not jamming any bluffs here. It's hilarious that you say that because we just analyzed a different hand that I played where I did jam the turn in a similar spot with a bluff uh, or with like an equity driven draw. But I mean, really all they have available here is like ace king of spades, I think. But you were out of position in that hand, the one where you jammed. Yeah, it's true. I I was out of position. But anyway, we'll stop talking about hands that the listeners just bewildered and has no idea what they are. Um, I end up checking the turn villain checks back, which is very nice to see. Yeah. Like I said, I, I beat some of their nut flush draws. I beat some of their nut flush draws, uh, maybe nine, 10 as well. Like nine, 10 of hearts, nine, 10 of clubs, those type of hands, the rivers of deuce at this point, no point in betting villain goes ahead and bets little less than half pot so like 46 percent pot or so 186 into 416 we're getting 3.24 to one what do you think about this spot here with our turn second pair the final board for the listener by the way is jack eight four ten deuce with no flush possible and we have queen 10 so just to go back to the turn once turn goes check check i'm, I'm sort of breathing like a huge sigh of relief i think like just not facing a bet from like a set or or straight i think we can just immediately begin discounting those hands from his range um so uh i like to check i like your check on the river as well with the 10 um i think we're at this point we're either inducing bluffs from uh other missed flush draws or, or whatever other hands he might call the flop check raise with that i can't think of at the moment uh maybe a hand like five six of hearts makes sense or six seven of hearts makes sense as well i'd be immediately like a little bit uncomfortable facing the small size on the river this size i think is a size that the villain can bet with uh some of his like stronger jack x that he calls the flop and is now trying to get value from your range that doesn't look particularly strong maybe it includes some like weaker jack x um maybe he knows that you have a decent amount of 10x here because you're checking like 9 10 and queen 10 and hands like that um that being said you're getting better than three to one on the river versus a fish who presumably can also have a decent number of flush draws given that he checked back the turn. Um, uh, and like you said, can have like hands as weak as like six, seven and five, six of hearts. Uh, so probably just fall here and expect to lose to like ace Jack a decent amount of the time and hopefully beat enough draws to, to make this call profitable. Yeah. I think like it, a lot of it hinges on, you know, we have the queen and the ten of spades and the jack of spades is on the board. So they have like ace three, ace five, ace six, ace seven, um, ace nine of spades, and then king nine of spades. 
uh, maybe some like six, seven or five, six of spades, those type of hands. A lot of it hinges on like how often do they bet their overpairs on the turn, like their aces and their kings. Like we block queens. So with aces, kings, and queens, they've got 15 combos there. And if they only bet them, you know, 50% of the time, then that reduces the number of overpair combos. And then like, is a fish going to thinly value bet ace jack? Probably king jack, probably not. So like they may even bet ace jack on the turn for all I know. And then we can find some like inappropriate hands that they called the flop with. Like, like you mentioned the six, seven, six, seven of hearts, um, stuff like that. So yeah, basically I just felt that I was getting too good of a price to fold with, the possibility that villain could have a bunch of flush draws. Um, so I, I flicked in the call and villain did end up having the King nine of spades. So they, we, we found one of the few combos that weren't the nut flush draw that they could have and, uh, scooped a little pot and, um, coming up after the break in hand number two, we're going to break down a similar situation with a little bit of a different result. So stick around for hand number deuce. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before bootcamp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years. Somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And Preflop Bootcamp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to, to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in Bootcamp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what Rangers should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I, I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm 
a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199 and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. Welcome back from the break to this episode of Tactical Tuesday, where get ourselves in some uncomfortable turn situations. John, why don't you dive into the second hand today? Sure. So this hand starts with a reg in middle position, opening to $25. Another player on the button. We don't have a ton of stats on him, but he looks pretty decent so far. Flats the 25 this flat, I don't think, is as egregious as the flat that we saw in Brad's hand a couple minutes ago. I think having a flatting range on the button is much more acceptable than having a flatting range from the cutoff or middle position. Acceptable uh, by whom, John? By the by the powers, by the poker powers who, who, <laughs> who, who tell me what's okay and what's not okay. The no, poker no, no, gods. I, I just, I the like, poker gods that govern the game. I think button, like, okay, it's just one of the reasons uh, flatting the button is uh, significantly more acceptable than, than flatting MP or cutoff is that you are going to be in position, even if you do get squeezed by, like, one of the blinds, uh, there's one less player who is going to squeeze one or two less players who are going to squeeze you, depending on whether you're flatting MP or cutoff. Um, the button is probably, uh, yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's all I'm going to say, I think. You know, position is just Important. so paramount in, in, yeah, in no limit hold'em that that alone allows you to find flats uh, when you're on the button that you shouldn't be finding in other positions. Hilariously, to just sort of like give a perspective of how far this game has come over the years or how far I've come, I know there was a good like eight-year stretch where I didn't fold a pocket pair preflop. <laughs> <laughs> not once ever from any position they were all getting played and then we learned through supercomputers that maybe you shouldn't do that all the time yeah uh and i'll just say that if you are playing like you know micro to low stakes i think flatting the button should just you just shouldn't do it at all regardless of what kind of hand you have um because rake is so high at the uh, can i i need to get like Renee to bake something up for like the rake police to just uh, add, I'm just add saying that I don't want to like say this and then everyone's like oh well I guess I should just flat the button at like five cents an hour and like why am I losing like from the button like you know, tactical tooth they told me that it's fine to flat take here, take John's voice put in some sirens we're, we're gonna get that in the future the rake police are <laughs> out in force I kid I make fun but yes uh I don't really think about rake so John is the uh, John is the authority here. Um, My goal is to also be rich enough to one day not worry about rake when I'm playing poker. <laughs> you don't worry. About, I don't you don't worry about the rake, John. But don't get it twisted. You don't. But yeah, so fill in flats on the button, and you have the five six of spades. Any thought of squeezing here with your middling suited connector? Mm, I'm gonna be squeezing and flatting significantly tighter. Um, 
facing a open and a flat than I would just facing the open. I think 6.5 suited is going to be a pure call for me uh, facing MP open and button flat. Okay. There you go. Pure call. So let's yep. see a flop. Okay. So the flop, very good flop for my hand. Eight of spades, four of hearts, deuce of spades. So I flop a double gutter and a flush draw. I I, sh I probably just like based off of like recent conversation and, and our last kind of discussion on Brad's hand, I probably should be finding a lead on this flop, but I do not. I check the pre-flop raiser in middle position checks as well. And the player on the button, that's uh, just under a third, 25 into 80. Uh, I guess I should mention that the button and I, or everyone here is 1K effective. I have $1,000 and I'm the effective stack. Well, actually, uh, that's not true because the player from middle position has 1,400 and the button has 1,800. So they're a little deeper than yeah. you. I was getting a little ahead of myself. Um, I decided to check raise to 121 over the $25 bet and then the preflop raiser folds. Um, so now I am the effective stack. The reason uh, that I bring it up is like, that may affect button strategy. Right, right. You know, right. if they're constructing a range versus like one deep opponent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess we can start here. Um, we've already kind of beaten the bonk the flop <laughs> thing to, to death. So uh, I guess we can just talk about like whether you are check raising at all with your double gutter and flush draw and whether you like the size. Uh, it's about 5x. I do like the size. I would check raise and now that we've well we've beaten the dead horse pretty much to a pulp by this point um but if I didn't donk then I would check raise and uh yeah we ran the sims for the situation so now we have a much better way of moving forward now on uh some specific turns yep okay so I check raise button calls turn is a six of diamonds I do the thing where I panic because I made a pair uh, <laughs> and I check without realizing that like the only hands that I'm checking on this turn are are turn pairs um just like in the in the greatness village slack group like coach Thomas like asked me to write out like what my check raise uh check turn strategy would be and I like that's how I realized that like wait a second I'm betting all my non-improved flush draw sets straights on this well, turn why do you think you didn't game. realize that in game because that seems to be like a pretty important thought here yeah in game like i i remember just being like okay like i have a pair now and i want to like don't want to be like funneling buttons range into only like over pairs and like sets that beat mine i think i was also slightly like overly concerned about getting jammed on in this spot which we said like is probably not uh as big of a concern as as we think it is and yeah, so mostly my biggest fear was that like if I did bet this turn with a six, I am no longer getting folds from better hands, I assume. And uh, you know, I might be folding out like some of the draws that I now that I now beat and I'm just isolating myself against like, you know, pocket nines and the tens, maybe, and then like really strong hands like trap sets and Yeah, so that's a fundamental difference, I think, from my hand when I check raise the flop and then check the turn with my 10 was that like I did recognize that like if I'm checking that I need to be checking my full range, you know, because mm -hmm. we can't split and, and like bet your good hands and check your pairs because then you just have pairs when you check. Right. So like you need to, you know, you need to 
be aware of like, well, if I had a set here, would I bet? The answer is yes. So then like what hands am I checking to protect my check range? And if you can't find any, well, you know, the Pio sim that we ran was pretty clear that like you just have to have some unnatural, uh, you know, you need to throw some like unnatural bluffs in your betting range instead. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, maybe we can just pretend that I'm checking range. <laughs> okay. For the sake of this. <laughs> so let's pretend that we're checking range. Um, you face a two third. Uh, yeah, so I check range. Uh, sorry, excuse me. I check my hand <laughs> on the turn. And unlike in Brad's hand, the button actually decides to go ahead and bet this turn uh, for uh, about two thirds. He bets 239 into 322. Or excuse me, I guess that's three quarters. Uh, I guess we should start by like what types of hands you think the button is choosing to bet here. Well, it's polarized, right? So they're going to have sets. And then I would suspect that I would suspect that they're probably not betting like their nut flushes. So they're going to have like their king high flushes and then some combo draws, possibly. Although, again, I, I'm not sure that they bet this sizing with all of those hands because there is the danger of getting check raised. But maybe you know you don't have a check raise range here and like they're aware of like that thread is like off the table because you don't you're not checking your range here you know I, i'm not sure so really it could be hands as strong as like uh six eight suiteds and then all their sets i think they could even go far down as far as like nines and tens that they flatted on the button with maybe even jacks that they flat flat on the button with too right yeah i think nines and tens is could, could certainly be in there um yeah, eight six is is certainly a hand that that makes sense. Um, I have the six of spades, so he has three eight six suited combos in full. Yeah, I think I think that's a reasonable, re- two, reasonable range two eight six combos in full. Oh, excuse me, two eight six combos in full. Yeah, six of diamonds is on the board. That's what I meant when I said I. <laughs> I don't know why I said three. Uh, so I decided to check call, hoping that I beat enough of like spade draws and whatever like spade draws that he does bluff the turn and i have tons and tons of equity versus his uh made hands that do decide to bet the turn the river is the four of clubs pairing the board so now the full board is eight deuce four six four the flush draw bricks um i checked and the button jams for 717 into 801 four pairing definitely made the hand a little bit trickier in game uh simply because it just re- it reduces his uh value combos um from having three sets of fours to now one combo of quads for his four four combos um here's another thing too that happened that like happens when you check the turn mm-hmm. is like you're not just splitting your range into two portions you're splitting you're actually splitting it into three because you're giving yourself a check range, a bet range, and a check raise range. Mm-hmm. And so like that's gonna be even more difficult to manage because like then you need to have some like check calls that can defend against river jams that don't check raise on the turn. And right, like right. the complexity is just gonna <laughs> like go through the roof there. Yeah. Um realistically though, like I would say that the way that you structured your range, this is like the hand you have <laughs> you have five six of spades and six seven of spades here you've got exactly two combos so i call the one with the better kicker they <laughs> <laughs> both don't play um <laughs> just take a shot spin yourself in a circle and 
<laughs> click a button. I, I have no idea what you, um, fundamentally, like you've obviously gotten yourself, you've taken yourself behind the woodshed and pulled down your pants and said, well, uh, it's, it's funny. Cause like on the river, it was when I realized like, Hmm, I might have a problem here with, with, uh, with the heads I get to the spot with, uh, when I, if I'm checking the turn, yeah, I, this is uh, this is clearly a, an issue, like a big issue with my like turn range construction. Um. <laughs> Please, sir, don't put your boot too far up there um, <laughs> on the river. Oh, like, can we just turn like a spade or a three on the river so that you know I don't know, <laughs> realize that my turn construction is poor? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I guess we can talk about like just now that you've constructed your your turn range in this poor, poor manner. Are you? Don't do it. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I think that it's not worth talking about because like, I think the moral of the story is never get to the river like this ever again for the rest of your life. All right. <laughs> I guess, okay. I guess then we can move. I guess the next, the, the next, uh, next obvious question is then like, how should we get to the river with this? So, yeah. So like going back to the flop, I, I prefer donking, but you know, in the sim that you ran, I think that you would just bet, bet jam right? Like you would just bet the turn and then jam rivers. Um, and actually, okay. So we'll, we'll, uh, actually you may, you, you may can river. check, check river because you have a pair. And so like, yeah, might, yeah. might be decent, like bluff catch candidate. Exactly. Um, so just to give the listener a little bit of, uh, context for the SIM, um, Pio does not, you can't run SIMs on Pio for multi-way spots. Um, so we had to do a lot, or I had to do a lot of kind of enabling to sort of stimulate what I uh, simulate as best I could the situation. So this is not even close to like a perfect sim, a uh, perfect simulation of this, of the spot. Um, but it's our like best approximation. Yeah. So Pio does not have me donking the flop very frequently. Um, only about 10% of the time. The check raise. On what hands the- does it want to donk the flop with? slivers of a bunch yeah, of yeah just tiny tiny fractions of of lots and lots of hands there's not there's no hand that it prefers donking over checking go to um, the five six of spades specifically because that is like a one of the slivers interesting so if, if you do it wants to go big but we're not going to go big because it's multi-way so i think giving yourself two sizes there is probably a mistake too yeah it likes a small size like four percent of the time with six five of spades yeah, let's get to, let's cut to the, get to the meat of this because like for an audio podcast, the listeners like, yeah, it, they're kind of like floundering, I would yep. assume. So the check raise is okay. Um, falling is fine. Uh, don't know how that changes when you have like a player in between me and the person betting the flop. But again, this is the best I can do. Uh, so we did a little bit. Uh, one thing that I did on the flop was like a, bit, a little bit of node locking for what I thought the button would be betting. Um, I assume the button would be betting a much tighter range multi-way than Pio has it betting uh, heads up. So we accounted for that in the sim. And um, assuming that that is the case, Pio really likes just betting range on the turn for a really big size. Um, it likes going the three quarters size on the turn with every single hand that we check raise the flop with. All right. And what about the river? That was what we were getting to here. Uh, so assuming we bet the big size and get called um, and get the same river, six, five of spades, uh, like you corrected yourself right at the end becomes a check 
fold. It's almost break even with calling and folding. So, yeah. But this is also assuming that I like don't bet hands like pocket eights and eight six. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have eight six, but like not betting pans like pocket eights and pocket fours on the turn and have those to call the jam on the river. Um, <laughs> after this discussion, we, 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 you know, now we know that I don't have those <laughs> to call the river with. Yeah. So maybe that would shift like six five into into a call given that it's like now one of the best hands that I get to the river with. But yeah, I, I, for me, like the biggest takeaway was like the turn, like sort of just trying to get an idea for what to do on the turn and um, seeing like the, the big size bet with range was not what I would have expected. Yeah. I mean, like, like we talked about earlier, you know, we don't, ha- we, we don't have a bunch of natural bluffs really. Like, so we want to bet our value, which means that like we need to start turning some pairs into turning some pairs into bluffs. And like, these are the pairs that we have in this spot to turn into bluffs. Um, and so I think a long story short to close down this tactical Tuesday is that multi-way pots are difficult. <laughs> multi-way pots are pretty complex and, um, you know, you just, you're going to have to have a donking strategy. You're going to have to have like a check strategy that includes a lot of strong hands that you, that may be counterintuitive. Um, it, they're just very difficult to manage and play very well. Uh, one, one last thing before we end here, I do have eyes on creating an overlay for YouTube for Tactical Tuesday moving forward. So the listener, if you want to see the visual component to Tactical Tuesdays moving forward, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, currently, I believe it's youtube.com slash enhance your edge which is horrible branding on my part. That's my old brand. I may be able to change it to Chasing Poker Greatness, uh, youtube.com slash Chasing Poker Greatness, or have a click-through link on the website. But yeah, there's going to be a visual component to Tactical Tuesdays moving forward. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, John, for showing the world your horribly constructed turn strategy. Also, I folded the river, by the way. I don't think we mentioned that, but we're really bad at doing the reveals sometimes. Um, so yeah, I did fold the river to the gym. Yeah, we, we talked all about, but ultimately I, I think that like, that's just a lot of high level poker discussions just kind of end like that where yeah. you don't know the result because the result is a lot of times not the, not ultimately the most important aspect of the hand, but yeah, you have two combos of like middle pair and villains got a lot of value and you have no idea what to do. So it, it, it's unsurprising that you folded and you're folding, you know, a thousand percent of your range there. So well yeah. done. Yeah. And it hadn't <laughs> happened yesterday. So I don't know if I got bluffed or not, but if you're curious, you can, I guess, join the Slack group and ask. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Greatnessvillage.com. I'll get a redirect there to the Slack group. If I get bluffed, I'm not going to tell anybody. Yeah. He'll tell everybody. Don't, <laughs> don't worry. John's very honest. He likes punishing himself publicly when he does things like this. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.